Cheers. Pete, you have, uh, you pull this off, you get an award. That's all I have to say. So just joking, just joking. We'll see you guys, preschoolers. Well, hello. There you go. You can talk back. It's all right. In a nice way. In a nice way. I know some of you would like to take me to task. Anyway, tomorrow we celebrate Labor Day. Well, many of us have a day off of our normal work week. I would guess many of us look forward to the day and even the weekend, right? Taking our last getaways, commencing to bring the football season, uh, the pumpkin spice, everything it shouldn't be in and everything people think it should be in, flavoring. I hate, ugh. All right, I got that out of my system. I know some of you love it. My daughters are those who love it. So, And then this, uh, the commencing of the school season for many of our, our many in our community, right? I mean, this is kind of one of those hinge points that we kind of look towards. Maybe you have already noticed an uptick in the cars and vans and buses on the roads to your normal workplace. I have. It's like, where do they all come from? What are they doing on the road? Did you know the origins of Labor Day in the United States can be traced back to the labor movement of the late 19th century? During this time, American workers faced difficult working conditions, including long hours, low wages, and unsafe workplaces. Uh, Take a gander at what they had to endure and some of the things that we complain about, what we think are terrible, and I think you might reevaluate some things. But that's just me. This is me. Labor unions and workers began to organize and demand better treatment, fair wages, and improved working conditions. One of the key movements that led to the establishment of Labor Day was the labor strike and protest organized by the Central Labor Union and the Knights of Labor in New York City. On September 5th, 1892, they organized a parade to show solidarity and advocate for labor rights. This event is often considered the first Labor Day parade. The idea of a nationwide holiday to honor workers gained momentum, and several states adopted this as their own Labor Day laws. However, it wasn't until 1894 that Labor Day became a federal holiday in the United States. The U.S. Congress passed, and President Grover Cleveland signed the law that established Labor Day as a national holiday on the first Monday of September. This was seen as a way to recognize and appease workers after the Pullman strike. All right, some of you are going back in your history class. I know it's been a while, but you're going back. Oh, yeah, I remember. I had to do a little bit of that myself. Today, Labor Day is celebrated on the first Monday of September each year. It marks the unofficial end of summer and often is observed with parades, picnics, and various festivities. It's also a time for people to acknowledge and appreciate the contributions of workers to the country's prosperity. So this is my question. So how do you spend Labor Day? How do you spend Labor Day? Do you do it acknowledging uh, the, the plenteous rewards we have for our labors around us? Do we consider the workforce that gives us and provides for our very needs, even those 
people that put up those beautiful flowered barrel cones throughout the year? I mean, seriously. Or do we kind of, do we just grasp at this last gasp for summer? Do we consider what that's all about? Well, let, let me just tell you, for me, I don't know what it is like for you. Uh, while it may be for many of you the last grasp and gasp of summer, can I just tell you that summer doesn't really officially end until September 21. Just, just want to let you know, it's not over yet. Uh, I want you to enjoy every moment. In fact, some of you are already bemoaning the fact that there are going to be hot days coming. Well, that's summer. Enjoy them, because I know what's coming, so do you. And, you know, I'm just saying. So just enjoy it. Don't move it from there. But why do we spend our Labor Day thinking intentionally about the labor that is done around us by ourselves and maybe others? Well, if you're like me, no, not at all. It's exactly what I just said. It's this last gasp, grasp at just kind of getting a day off. I, I hardly ever consider potent, the potential labor force that's around me that provides for the, for the resources that I take absolutely for granted every single day. Every single day. And why is that? Why is it that I, I often go about my day often less grateful and more complaining and com- comment, uh, you know, in that mode than I do other, way, other times. Can I just tell you, it's because of this. I don't have margin. And my guess is that many of you do not either. In fact, I talked to somebody who's retired this morning. In fact, they offered it to me. I didn't even ask. I don't know how I got everything done. Can I just tell you that it's possibly because we've not built the margins in our life that we need to in order to be the people, we'll get to this in a second, to be the people that God has called us to be. We, we want to run our lives, even as followers of Jesus, we want to run our lives the way we want to run them and say, Jesus, come along with me. Uh, come and join me in my journey instead of the other way around. And so this, this morning, um, I, I want to take a, a quick, uh, quick little reminder about what God has already given to us. See, the government often gives us many things that God has already gifted to us. He's already gifted them to us, and yet we dispense of them quickly, I think. In fact, Brother Ray already prayed into where we're going today. There's this wonderful book, it's right there, Margins, by Richard Swinson. It was written in 2004, so if you think this is a new book and a new topic, this is one for all the ages throughout the ages, right? Uh, The idea of margin. Here are just a few quotes from that book that I've, uh, through the days uh, that I've known about it, I've I've just kind of reveled in. Uh, Check this one out. If progress is so wonderful, why do we drink and drug to forget our problems? Why are we divorcing and suing at such rates? Why are people killing themselves and others in such numbers? Now, uh, 
is Dr. Richard Swenson, he really, he's a medical doctor. These are the guys that kind of like looking at some of this stuff because they, they know what it does to us health-wise, but then they know other emotional things. So great question, right? If progress is so good, if just continuing to do and do and do and do and have more and get more and be more uh, for, uh, you know, in a lot of th- different ways, where, is it, where does it end how about this one? While the progress we boast of is found within material and cognitive environments, now think about that, it truly is, how many deliveries did you get from Amazon this week? I'm not trying to pick, I'm, I'm just pointing out, all right? Most of the pain we suffer is found within the social, emotional, and spiritual. So while we go for getting more academia, more knowledge, more information, more social feeds, right? Because I think that is the material and cognitive environment in part. It affects our emotional, right? It affects us in our social, emotional, and spiritual well-being. And there's something about us that we just, it's, a, it's an insatiable thing to just say, no, I can't do that. We, we just can't do that. We just have a hard time walking into that. So progress, this is what's transpiring that led people to take a stand against the very people they work for and, and uh, in which they striked against led pre- President, uh, President Grover to establish a national holiday called Labor Day. Progress, uh, just a little bit of it. Progress is not evil, so don't, don't think that I'm trying to categorically put evil there. Progress, though, has a way to lead us and lead us into forcing what is unreasonable and undoable humanly to others. That's where it leads us. It's that that desire, not not progress itself, but where it leads us and how we want to use people generally, not use things, use people in a way that is humanly wrong. It's intoxicating. I mean... Progress is intoxicating. We clamor for it. More knowledge, more things, more going places, more experiences. That's, in many cases, we could categorize progress in many of those ways. Workaholics do not start out their careers wanting to relegate their souls to their, their, their souls, their family, and their health to the closet, but they do, right? Think about it. Uh, too many of us get to the point that we retired and we're overweight, we're out of shape, and we're taking too many meds. Right? Uh, again, I'm not trying to pick. I'm trying to, let's correct this. There's, God's given us a place to correct this. Most businesses start with good at the heart, I believe, most of them. <laughs> Yet to stay ahead, they must outpace and outguess the competition, or at least most of it, to make a dollar. Right? It's pretty true. If I don't get the best or the latest or something close to it, then we're outpaced. Yet what is, most, what is often lost in the mix of being, being creative is the one-day margin that Labor Day was originally created for to consider. Now, why did I use the weird creative? Because I talk to people all the time. I'm just, I just have this creative edge and I have to do it. Yep, I get it. God's created us that way, but he's also created us to have margin. He's created us to, 
to stop, we'll get to it, to stop what we're doing so that he is in control, that we're not in control. That his order and his kingdom is the way we are to live, not his kingdom fitting into ours, which doesn't work, right? Doesn't work, right? So this is, this is what Jesus said to some worn out, oppressed people in Matthew 11. We're familiar with this. Can you read it with me? I don't know if you can. Can you read it with me? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, the the individuals of which Jesus was talking to were living under the rigors of the Roman Empire. They were taxed out of living, uh, wondering whether God would right the wrong which had been inflicted on them and affected the everyday life they lived. And he says to them, come to me. Or in another way, he says, follow me. This invitation was and is any who would dare to come. And when I use the word dare, I mean it sincerely because it is truly a dare to live the life that Jesus calls us to. In fact, I heard somebody recently say that if, if we're not honest, that the Jesus life is tough. It's, it's, not, it's, it's an easy yoke when we follow him, but it's not easy to change our fleshly, our routines, our ways of living that we're used to, or that we get, uh, we're subtly sucked into, right? It's a surrendered way of life. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Using the agrarian culture around him, it's not so much ours. He says he wants us to allow us to let him lead the way. When we, when we pair up with him, we don't, we're no longer in control. He is in control. We yoke up with him. Uh, does rest mean we will not be tried or tested? Absolutely not. It does mean we will be tried and tested, yet we'll be yoked with the one who can keep us with him and in the life that we deeply desire for all our days. He does not call us to a lazy boy life. He calls us to a kingdom life. And I love my recliner chair, but he doesn't call me to that reclining life, if you will. He wants us to take his yoke. He will provide the rest. See, I I think one of the issues is that we we, even inside the church, as followers of Jesus, we continually struggle with our identity. We continue to struggle with who we are and who he's called us to be. This is where our striving comes from, uh, whether it's materialism or whether it's uh, the pursuit of more information. Those, again, are, none of those things are individually wrong, but when we lose our identity, they tend to consume us as we consume them. We, we, though, in this process of living, want to know who we are. We want to know 
who we belong to. So let me ask you, who do you belong to? Who owns you? Or as, as our kids used to say, you're not the boss of me, but who is the boss of you? Right? Are you, own, are you your own boss? Do you ride the roller coaster rides of others in terms of comparison and their thoughts and their impressions about who you should be? Or are you truly surrendered to Jesus? You see, from the very beginning, God designed us to be his, as we sang earlier, and I heard you sing, his sons and daughters. In fact, let's do this little exercise, and we don't often do this, but men, can you say, I'm a son of God? I am a son of God. Women, ladies, can you say, I am a daughter of God? I am. Yeah. I think, I think one of the things that would be one of the grandest corrections, if we wrote that on our mirror, uh, and just every morning we got up and we went through this litany, you know, I, I'm a son of the king. You know, I've been bought with a price. We continue to remind ourselves of whose we are and our identity will begin to be formed around what we read and what we put into us, around us. But see, I think that that's part of the struggle we have. So we, we labor and we continue to labor hard and we continue to create, but we forget who we are and what he has called us to do. So what about the doing? What should I do? Uh, Well, there are a couple of answers to this, but I think the simple answer from Matthew 11 is this. Until you know whose you are, you will never know what you're to do. Right? I I just, I think there's some simpleness to that, right? Uh, There's just that that idea, unless unless we fully come to know that we're yoked with him and that he's king, he's Lord, he's Savior, he's Redeemer, he's Restorer, we will lose our way. But this means, again, back to to the passage a little bit, it means that we must submit, right? So if we're to come to him, it means that we, we have to acknowledge that he has said, come to me, and that means ridding, you know, taking my full self to him, not ridding myself of who I am, let him deal with that. But coming to him, that's a surrender, that's a submission. And it also means a level of trust, right? That we trust him. In the Free Methodist Church, we believe that God's God's word is his revelation to us. That that both the Old and New Testaments are powerful reflections of the, the ways we should live and the ways that we should be guided. I mean... Uh, after all, uh, God, Jesus is, is, is king of his kingdom. And if we truly want to come under the rest that I think most of us hunger for, especially after a very full week, we need to come under his lordship every single day. Well, I think we hunger for the rest. Part of it is because we strive to figure out who we are every day and forgetting he's already told you who you are, if you're found in him and you're his. Swenson's book states this, we must have some room to breathe 
We need freedom to think and permission to heal. Our relationships are being starved to death by velocity. No one has the time to listen, let alone love. Our children lay wounded on the ground, run over by high-speed good intentions. Is God now pro-exhaustion? Interesting question, right? He poses there at the end. We do need room to breathe. We do need to to, uh, have room to, to think and allow the healing process to take place. But our synchronistic behaviors with the world undermine that desire. And we can come to think that God himself is pro-exhaustion. We may not say it in those words, but I think Swinson gets to it like, I'm no longer going to do that. The church is this, or God's asked me to do this. I'm going to do my own thing. Now, we need to be clear about what the Lord's, Lord's called us to be and what he's called us to do, but we also need to come under his lordship and live the way he's called us to live. The question is, um, oh, another quote. Sorry, I like, I like Swenson's book. Hopefully, maybe this will intrigue you and you'll buy it. Doesn't he lead people besides still waters anymore? Who plundered those wide open spaces of the past? How can we get them back? There are no fallow lands for our emotions to lie down and rest in. Ah, doesn't that sound good? I mean, isn't that invitational? So the question is, did this this mix-up of our, our work and rest happen in the past? Did it happen in the Bible? Did it ever happen? Did the Israelites ever lose their way and choose a, choose a path that was marginless, less of God? Well, if you have your Bibles, or you can look on the screens, you could check out Hebrews chapter 4. The writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest... And since those who formerly had good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David as, a, as the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now listen, for if Joshua had given them rest... God would not have spoken later about another day that there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following the example of, last word, disobedience. I know we don't like the word obey or disobey or should or ought, could, would. But scripture seems to be filled with some of those. So did it happen then? Yeah, absolutely. Scripture is very clear. Joshua did not lead the people into a day of rest. And they led them into marginless living. And when I think marginless living, I think my way without God. and, and don't think balanced life, by the way, because in the kingdom, nothing's balanced. It's all God. It's all tilts towards God. But margin is there for us. It's been a gift for us from the very beginning, and it's, it has been since he 
since he, God, when he created, created, he set aside time. Abraham Heschel, a Jewish scholar, says that he sanctified time. This is the only place in scripture in which he sanctifies time and sets it aside as holy and says that he took rest. So can I be so frank to say, why aren't you? Why do you think that you can run over the top of what God himself takes for himself and has led us as a people of God to enjoy? Now, we're going to get into a few things, but this this is why I start with Labor Day. The government gave us something we were already gifted. The government gave us something. There are other things with Labor Day, and I understand that, that needed to happen. But the government doesn't, doesn't even have a click of understanding. Sorry. I love my son-in-law, but they don't. God has gifted you a gift. So let's talk about what that gift would look like. Oh, first of all, what would it look like for Jesus? Because I think that's the pattern we've said we want to follow after. Just quickly here, and these will be quick. Uh, Sabbath, or the day of rest for somebody who's Jewish, Shabbat. Shabbat means what? It means stop or cease or desist. That's what Jesus would do. He would stop from what he was doing otherwise and give his attention and his affections, we talk that way all the time, to God. Not to his family priority first, not to his home jobs first, he would stop and say, this is a day that the Lord has set aside to be holy for me. And I think we're going to get to it to provide things that we already know we need and our culture and ourselves are hungering for. They would have candles that they would light, potentially. I know they do now. They would, marking up time. And I think when we set up and we get to it, when we set up that time that we want to set apart, there are some things that we can do to help us move and transition. And our, our, our friends, uh, our Jewish friends, have given us some great traditions and passed them on to us. There are feast meals. Uh, yeah, that means that you eat beans and rice. Let me just put it in stark contrast. Uh, peanut butter and jelly throughout the week, steak on the weekend. That might help, Right? Uh, Beans and rice, and then a spaghetti Italian meal, right? So you feast, figure out what that looks like, but anticipate, because there's anticipation when we come to God, right? They give us this. Uh, They gather and study, and some of you are like, how does this work? I have to be a church, you know. Well, they gather and study. They understood that their devotion was to God, that their devotion was to to learn more about him and to be in community, and to study. Oh, yes, rest and reflection. You know, I'll just tell you, I I picked this picture uh, partly because it's one of the things that our whole family uh, loves to do. We call it hammocking. It it, it really is a verb. You do it. It's not just in a hammock, and we tend to set them up, and then uh, when Kathy and I are on vacation, we set them up, and we climb into them, and uh, maybe not always on vacation, and we Whatever transpires, we're reading a book and we fall asleep. We just let her happen. I think God wants you to do those things. I think he wants you to have the beauty of going, you know what? 
nothing else is happening right now, but you and me, and if you provide rest and reflection, then let me do, let me do that. And Kathy talked a, long, a great bit and a good, uh, good word about reflection and remembering. Uh, he wants us to be about charity. I mean, Jesus was about charity. We know that. In fact, if you look up in Scripture, this is the places where Jesus got in trouble because he showed kindness and charity on the Sabbath, and the religious rulers were like, why would you heal somebody? Well, what's the kindest thing you could do? Bring about healing in somebody, right? Bring about health and wholeness, uh, not only spiritually, but even physically, if the Lord so desires. And then I believe, and they build it into their Shabbat or their Sabbath, uh, which we would call a day of rest, uh, just joy and celebration. How can you do that? So if we were to do this, if we were to step into this kind of mode of living, and maybe you do, and that's great. If you do, that's awesome. We need people who are mentors to others of us who need to walk in this. What would happen? Well, uh, I think you'd find physical re rejuvenation. So oftentimes we're just physically wore out. But what if you stopped? What if you just stopped doing what you do every single day? And you went, okay, there's, the clock doesn't, the clock, the alarm doesn't wake me up. My watch, in fact, Kathy takes off her watch on our rest day and doesn't even have it. Doesn't even have it with her. And so what if that happened? I think there would be an immediate physical rejuvenation to our bodies when we said, hey, this is pause day. We would see a reduction of stress, I think. Uh, again, we're talking about building margins so you don't take on more than you should do. You take on only what God has brought you into and wants you to do. You didn't see an improved mental health. I think most of us need, our minds need to kind of shut off for a few moments. And uh, we get clarity and we get emotional resilience and we get, a, we we have reduced mental fatigue going on. We have enhanced relationships because what, what, is, what is important on this day is our relationships. And we would have uh, enhanced relationships. We have spiritual nourishment that our souls hunger for. I think that there would be uh, not a ceasing of creativity, but a cultivating of creativity that day. Maybe it's different. We would cultivate gener uh, gratitude. You, you possibly could cultivate uh, gratitude on taking a day of rest. And I think that we would have a margin life. We would start to then prioritize our week, not according to Friday or whatever day is your, whatever day, is your day of rest, but we would start, or your day of work or whatever, you would start to prioritize your day towards moving towards this celebration of being with God and you would have a margin life ah this this idea of of bringing a, a healthier thought between work and leisure and rest is what we're desiring so what's a, what are the next steps if this is true this would if this is what the benefit would be if I were to participate in uh, a rest day, and 
you can almost kind of infer what those would be for a whole community around and amongst us would be, then what, how do we do this? We, we've talked about this a few times, but before we get to there, uh, this margin, or, uh, Richard Swenson says this in margin, the Sabbath rest is a rest he calls us to, but the surrendered rest he offers, he offers to us the Sabbath rest we enter out of obedience. The surrendered rest we enter out of our need. The Sabbath rest arises from the good and perfect law of God. The surrendered rest arises from the good and perfect grace of God. The Sabbath rest is remembrance and the surrendered rest is meekness. Both provide soothing, God-ordained healing when we participate. So, if any of this intrigues you, I thought I'd give you, uh, again, another list today of how do, you, how do you walk into a day of rest? Well, can I just say, pick a day. Pick any 24-hour period of time. And if that's too much, pick a smaller amount of time, but choose the time. Can I suggest that in this technological age that you unplug, that you unplug is as you can, which is more difficult than it, it seems. The other thing is I would say is, especially if you're a family, uh, even if you're not, but if you're a family, then you need to plan. You need to bring everybody in on what is transpiring and the, and the anticipation of what is to come. So for a few years, Kathy and I would start on Friday evenings with a, uh, a pretty good meal and uh, it would always have, well, not always, but it would generally have this big cookie that we would make uh, in this large, uh, large kind of pan that we put, and then we'd dump a bunch of ice cream on it. At the end, this is our dessert, and we would just eat to our hearts to d- delight. Uh, we don't do that so much today, but we still, we still uh, allow ourselves to feast uh, entering into this time, recognizing that it's, it's his time, right? And he wants us to do that. So that's part of the planning. If you, especially if you have kids, you can go, how do you want to do this? How do you want us to enjoy God's goodness to us? We engage, you, I would say engage in worship. That means prayer, meditation, scripture reading. Uh, you know, if, if Sunday is that day for you, then I would say make sure that Sunday is a part of our, our community gathering as a part of that. Uh, move from, uh, you know, ingratitude to gratitude. Uh, every single day of our, our existence, uh, there's something that probably we can grumble against. But this is, this is tough, but move into a point, place where you can just be grateful, grateful for the day that has been given to us, and then live into it. And that may be creating a, gra- a gratitude journal, uh, going around the table and thinking, you know, if it's a family or if it's just even a, you, just writing those things down about how the Lord has been good this week, how he has provided, and tell him and be in that mode. Prioritize relationships. Oftentimes we think, uh, when we think of a rest day or the Lord's day, or even if you think of it in Sabbath, we think about just uh, isolating and for some of us, we need a portion of that day to do that. But the incredible thing that 
that rest day gives us or Sabbath gives us that the Lord gives is he wants us to be in community, to, to enjoy one another, to delight in one another. And so relationships become important. And oftentimes it's family, but oftentimes it's others that we include in that time. And we need to invite them in. And sometimes uh, it can be almost evangelistic in nature. If they've never experienced the wonder of just being able to sit, to eat thoroughly, to rest in those, those places, then that may be just a gift for them, at least a portion of your rest day. Simplify. Don't make things complex. Uh, don't add to your to-do to list. Simplify on that day. Just strip things back. And from week to week, it may change, or there may be a, a way that it can be worked out. I would also say that you would want to be flexible. So if you've never practiced Sabbath or practiced a rest day, uh, it is not easy to get into this mode because our minds and our bodies are in motion in another direction. And so to counter that and start to build this in, it takes a lot of work. So be flexible. Give yourself grace. But in all of it, just... Understand that God has invited us into his rest. And we would not want to be like, be the example of Joshua who did not give them himself or others rest and is brought out because this is a divine and right and God-given act. In fact, if we even brought it in the Ten Commandments, I, I believe it's one of the ten. And ask me which one you're supposed to leave out. I don't think you're supposed to leave out any of them. And yet, uh, most often, even as followers of Jesus, Christians in the world, we tend to leave off and leave out, keep the Sabbath holy, practice the Sabbath. Incorporating rest into our lives and our family is not about perfection, this idea of flexibility but it's about creating intentional moment, this intentional moment, 24 hours or whatever the period of time is of rest and connection to stand back and allow God to be God. That you do not have to act in that nature or that way anymore. In fact, that's part of our exhaustion is we are continually acting in the way of God thinking we are and we're not. And it's a corrective to our very souls or to our very minds and our to our very emotions. Our Heavenly Father has given us a gift. He's not given us just a holiday. He's given us a gift one day out of every seven in order for us to, to have uh, this soul rejuvenation. Swenson says he looked on and looked on at what he made and delighted in it, and he has commanded us to do the same. And I believe that's the case. When we step back and we we truly take a Sabbath rest, a day of rest, and give our attention to him, we, we are reminded that he is in control. I want to remind you of the verse we read earlier. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my soul is easy and my burden is light. As some of you are, you're at the beginning of a, of a new season of rhythms. And you're already thinking through 
the next three or four months and you're almost exhausted just by thinking through them. I know because I've been there and sometimes I'm there way too often in every single week. My, my encouragement, my exhortation to you is to remind yourself of what God has already given to you. What he's already given to you as a gift so that you don't have to live in that pace, that space of mind, or even that heart. Take his gift upon you.